0: Hello and welcome to resourceful stories from the site proudly brought to you by resources unearthed at resources unearthed we help executives professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally we've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry thanks for joining us
1: Hi, my name is Brett Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources Unearthed, and welcome to Resourceful Stories from the Site. Today, I'm joined by Lee Nindorf. I've known Lee for over 30 years. Let's just say Lee's working career predates that period. So Lee spent almost four decades working for MIM, Extrada, Glencore, in various positions at Mount Isa. In his stellar plus 40-year career, he witnessed a lot of change and significant evolution in mining methods at Mount Isa and no doubt across the globe as well. I'm sure our listeners can imagine it would have been a very interesting being part of that change while watching and participating in it for over 40 years. I think we're in for a real treat hearing about Lee's experience and his stories from the site. So wherever you are, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Resourceful. Welcome, Lee, and thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Rhett. Well, I guess I'm doing this podcast on the basis we we I'm sort of celebrating 100 years since the discovery of Mount Isa. I thought it would be uh, appropriate to do the podcast and recognise the significant contribution Mount Isle has made to
1: the mining world. Yeah, for sure. To begin with, would you tell us how and where you started in the mining and resources industry? I guess it goes back to, as a child in country South Australia,
2: I was always interested in rocks. My uncle of mine would take me out looking for different specimens in the local hills. And as that fascination grew, I had the opportunity to gain a degree in mining from what is now the University of South Australia. One of the requirements to complete the degree was to do two eight-week working experiences and to complete appropriate reports. First, I completed at Mount Isa Mines, and the second was a place called Caman 2 Mines, which is in the Adelaide Hills. During graduation, a couple of mates of mine said that they were working in Western Australia and that there was plenty of work for young mining engineers. So I followed their lead and was thrown off the deep end, so to speak, until I was involved in an incident where a very experienced underground miner and I were involved in a serious blasting incident. I realised we could have been severely injured or even worse. Just to expand on that story a little bit, the more experienced miner had come to show me how to charge my face and how to cut and light fuses. He was all in all from his stope and he was the job furthest from the plat. We completed the charging on my face and lit the fuses. We climbed down from the scraper platform to the full rake of trucks and headed off to pick up the miner from the closest job to the plat. We arrived at his job. We climbed up the ladder and all I could see was smoke. The third miner had left the job. It already lit his face and was nowhere to be seen. The more experienced mine I shouted that we should run. We both scampered down the hoarded drive and it was not long before shops started going off probably less than 100 metres away no written procedures, nothing. Arriving back at the plant is where I saw my first underground fight. It was the night that I wrote to Mount Isa Mines. Four months later, I was back in Mount Isa. There were inductions, procedures, training, and significant experiences to be learned and applied. I guess this was gold for a young, newly graduated mining engineer.
1: It would have been a very interesting experience watching all that happen, (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) could just see the fight going on. (laughs) Over time, you were with Mount Isa and you progressed and went to different positions. And from what I've seen, you had a bit of a technical interest. So how did that evolve for you over time and what did you do along the way?
2: I'm returning to uh, Mount Isa after that experience, I was put on the same training scheme as the mining engineers, but I wasn't actually put on what was called being the graduate scheme. That was one significant difference, which meant that I wasn't guaranteed a start position at the end of my uh, underground training. So I spent nearly the next two years working on quite a number of different mining contracts underground. Through that gained a lot of first-hand experience, which is longer than what the graduate scheme actually exposed you to in those days. I was then eventually offered a staff position in mining research as a field research engineer. I guess my initial thought's research. <laughs> what is that at mining? But through this exposure, it allowed me to see things in a different way. Quality, well-managed research, both in the lab and in the field, which then could be applied to make mining methods safer, more productive, and cost-effective. A number of roles followed in production in the copper mine, working at X41, construction, supervision, some foreman work, Drilling and blasting and mine planning. I very much enjoyed the drilling and blasting role. I was responsible for the design of many, many mass blasts. One such blast was over one and a quarter million tonnes in less than three and a half seconds. 200 millimetre holes charged with pyrotechnic delays and multi-channel exploder boxes. dip vibration levels needed to be within certain limits and it's quite a responsibility given that nearly a third of the copper metal production was coming from that particular shock. I guess all those practical and technical experiences gave me the skills and exposure to many different types of people with many different skill sets. What a wealth of knowledge to be gained from all of these people. I enjoyed all the different roles, some more than others. I found that there was always something new, challenging and something to learn in any role. I felt incredibly fortunate to be given so many important learning experiences, which is a firm basis for my managerial career. Through those experiences, I had sufficient exposure to take on a number of different registered mine manager roles. I guess I'd just like to now mention the involvement I had with two fatalities underground. I was the registered mine manager, and was involved with two different instances, both great learning experiences. Unfortunately, we lost two people through it. First was in Manizer, and the second when I was a manager at Ravenswood Gold Mine, which is a fully owned subsidiary of Manizer Mines. There's a lot of commonality in both the instances. Both involve the uncontrolled movement of material, and both situations are written and known procedures. If they'd been followed, we wouldn't have lost the two people. If procedures are not followed, the consequences can be catastrophic. As a manager, we must always ensure there are processes and places to establish good procedures, ensure that people are able to understand and utilise them, and what the potential is if they're not followed.
1: To sobering thought when you're dealing with all those sorts of things, and uh, certainly I had similar experiences, but different. Fortunate that I never had that personal exposure, but that I've witnessed through quite a few of my colleagues over time, including yourself.
2: Well, you take those things on board as well. and There's great things to learn from those things as well. So that's the positive. That one of the few positives you can take out of it.
1: So Lee, I was sort of casting my mind back and obviously mine can't cast back as far as yours, but I can imagine that Mount Isa would have been a very different place when you first arrived. So could you perhaps describe to our listeners what you saw when you came to Mount Isa? And I suspect many of our mining listeners wouldn't appreciate the change in mining that's occurred over that period of time because they just haven't had that exposure. So it'd be great to hear your perspectives.
2: The thing that initially struck me about Mount Isa was the great community spirit. was in the mid-70s and Mount Isa was a thriving and growing city of almost 30,000 people. The workforce at the mines was approximately 5,000 people and they worked hard and played hard. The majority of people came from somewhere else and often didn't have family close by or friends became almost like family. I was fortunate that my wife Jeanette was born and bred in Mount Isa. Jeanette was one of 10 so spending time with family was, was easy for us. We had a busy social life. We made Many lifelong friends and a lot of whom are still around today, spend time with when the opportunity arises today. And it was the same when we moved to Ravenswood. So what do you Be it playing sport, having a barbecue with newfound friends or going away camping for the weekend? We did notice a lot of change over our time in Mount Isa. Maintaining sporting teams, services, et cetera, became a little harder with the introduction of continuous shift work, a decreasing workforce and population. The crew's professional staff became more fluid and people tended to stay for a few years and move on. Moving on was quite a different to what I experienced when I first started. But People adapted and altered their leisure and work times to suit the circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's certainly what I recall about Mount Isa, that very social atmosphere. And as you said, everyone comes and most of the time they're away from family. So it, uh, you establish some long-term friendships, uh, probably similar in a lot of the bigger mining towns around the country where people lived. Yeah,
2: Definitely, definitely.
1: So Lee, over 40 years of working in Mount Isa, you'd also seen and been part of a lot of change. What changes were you most impressed by or found had the biggest impact?
2: I guess it was that background in research and then spending quite a lot of time in operations as well. I saw combining operational and technical skills was important skill to learn and gain, and management skills came through listening and communicating with many people from all walks of life, learning from mistakes, developing the skills of other people, and also giving them the opportunity to learn and apply. And some examples, oh, an example of that comes to mind is I had the opportunity in Mount Isa to work with as said, many different people with different skills. Trying to combine them and give a positive result was all important. I call in the days when the old lead mine, I think lead mine in Mount Isa was struggling to meet positive financial return, and then we had a good proportion of tonnes being produced from different areas using a cap and fill mining method. Through the efforts of many people, we converted this method into what became known as bench taping. Essentially, we changed from taking 3-metre horizontal slices from within the ore body to taking anywhere between 10 to 25-metre lifts between mainly areas from outside the ore body. This method relied on good planning, good understanding of the ore bodies and the surrounding rock, Good drilling and blasting practices, good backfilling practices, and the introduction of remote loading equipment. I believe this was the first time anywhere in the world where remote loaders became an integral part of the mining method. All of these ingredients were necessary to ensure that this method worked. Many people were involved in this transformation. Operators, supervisors, geologists, planners, rock mechanics, maintenance personnel, researchers, trainers, electronic and mechanical engineers all had their part to play. Initially, we, we monitored the results in each of the ore bodies each ore body had its own individual characteristic. Ore body sequencing, stress management, drilling and blasting practices, hanging wall characteristics and behaviour, ground support design and behaviour, dilution and filling practices, to name a few. This information was then utilised to apply to future lists to improve the overall results of each bench tape in that ore body in the future as we continued bench taping up tip. There had also been a significant reduction in the size of the workforce, and this also needed to be managed. The transformation overall was a great success, doubling the production rates from those old cut-and-fill-day mining areas, and significantly reducing costs, and everyone working in a much safer environment. Another great experience was when we moved to Ravenswood to construct and produce gold from MIM's first gold mine. Initially had reserves for two years and was meant to produce about 15,000 tonnes a year. After two years, we produced nearly 30,000 tons a year, and that was back in 87, 89. And the mine thin centers continued to produce. Significant changes in terms of increasing reserves. George Fisher Mine, I guess just progressing on to something I did a little later, as it was known in those days as the Hilton Mine or George Fisher South. I was fortunate enough to be given the position of reading the initial George Fisher Mine Feasibility Study. And... Had it approved and then managed the construction. Construction included access to George Fisher North, orange drives, haul passes, lading chutes, inclines, the development of two new shafts, and also all the electrical and communication systems that needed to go into supporting the mine. I would have liked to have managed the operation, but was given up a role as mine technical service managers for the total ISO operations, including all the copper operations and also the lead zinc operations. So Challenge Roland was fairly unsettled at that time, but I did take out of this, you don't need to know everything, and if you develop and train the right team and trust it, they will be able to deliver, you can always continue to learn. So that was a, another important learning outcome for me.
1: The thinking about Mount Isa and its mining, it's survived and thrived for a very long time now. So what most impressed you as the most significant contributions to its success and survival, if you like?
2: Coming here as a young engineer and just learning so much from all the old mining foremen, they had just a significant wealth of knowledge, practical experience that could not be underestimated. Watching them do their everyday job, they were um, teaching the people around them. I found it pretty important to remember that you can always learn from a lot of other people's experiences. And uh, those all had again, a lot of knowledge. And I guess imparting that knowledge onto anyone was absolutely critical to any
1: ongoing success. There was definitely a few of them in the lead mine. <laughs> That's for sure. It was a, an entertaining place, with lots of characters. So, you know, having seen some of those things and as you mentioned, lots to learn from them, is there any sort of exposure that some people who you found inspiring or... Any you'd care to talk about the qualities which you admired or things you found over time that you learn about or anything like that?
2: I could name lots and lots and lots, but uh, there's just so many of the, the wealth of experience over that length of time of such a large mind, both in the cop operations and the zinc lead operations, was just phenomenal. And just seeing those guys work with the supervisors, working with the crews on the job, He said some of them were the pretty hard men and didn't always necessarily agree with some of the things and the ways they went about things, but gee, they were just such a wealth of practical mining knowledge that you just couldn't ignore it.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly the case. You mentioned some of your learnings in your career. Is there anything you'd say were your biggest learnings in your career and biggest challenges you faced along the way? One of the things
2: we used to always do, we used to have the old appraisals and call them appraisals for mentoring sessions and take on board what has been said. and Trying to take those things on board and try and apply those things in the future I think is pretty important. I was on one occasion told by someone who was head of the zinc business at one stage that I was fairly conservative in my management style. So I took this comment on board and even though it meant going outside my comfort zone at times, I think I can recall one certain occasion when I used it to my advantage. We used it to the zinc business advantage. The instance I was asked to do, talking about, I was asked to develop a growth strategy for the zinc business. And I presented this to the head of the zinc business. It included a significant exploration, confirmatory drilling program, mine production and concentrator expansion, and associated timelines. This particular gentleman, there was someone I greatly respected. I did the presentation, he came back and said, you know, I've had plenty of these sorts of proposals in the long time that I've been in this industry. But at that point in time, he was in two minds about where we were going to go was the proposal. At that point in time, I came out and replied, you've told me in the past that I'm conservative. And right there and then, he paused and thought. Several of my colleagues said to me after, I think you got him. As it turned out, my proposed program was approved and we significantly grew the zinc business. We increased reserves from something in the order of 150 million tonnes to in excess of 280 million tonnes. All the time over that five, six-year period, we were obviously mining reserves and mining at significant rates, but still managed to almost double the actual overall reserve. It included the expansion of the George Fisher mine, Black Star open cut, Antelbar open cut, and eventually later Loretta operation. And so with that increasing reserve base, total concentrator input increasing, and saleable product increase. So I guess that was something you take on board from... Call it, a, as I said, an appraisal or mentoring session and then using it to your advantage sometimes in the future.
1: Sounds like my next question almost that you might have answered it is it tips or guidances to someone in your position or to your younger self. Are there any tips that you'd give to the younger people listening and hearing what you'd give to yourself at that stage?
2: Never know too much. Always prepared to learn from anybody who has specific expertise in a certain discipline. Good reserves has always been a way to success. It's probably heard the saying, "grade is king, and understanding and knowing the metallurgical responses to different ore bodies is is essential. The introduction of isomills to the zinc stream ensured every tonne of mineral resource was given the best opportunity of making it in the reserve. So in the case of the zinc ore bodies, it was not just the grade of the silver, lead and zinc, but also the iron and sulphur content. So that you can have a very good idea of what metallurgical response you could get in the block model that you're actually using to prove up your reserves at that point in time. So I guess that's another little tip to take on board.
1: Something that we're just asking these questions, given my bent, is there any financial guidance you'd give to someone in your position or younger position, I should say, you know, what did you learn along the way for yourself?
2: My dad always said to me, you can never start saving too early and not to borrow money other than to buy a house. I'm not sure if a lot of listeners would completely agree with this now, as it may sound conservative, but it certainly helped me get a good start without debt. I believe you just want it, but don't need it. Wait until you can afford it. And I guess for a financial guidance point of view, one last thought is: growing a mining business is a lot like financial planning. Always look for opportunity to expand the mining reserves. your assets. Grow your reserves and the company will survive and grow.
1: Compound interest, as I say, is a wonderful thing. (laughs) <laughs> and it need time to make it work. <laughs> the earlier you start, the better it is. So there you go. Lee, to finish off with today, what's your funniest or most memorable story from the site, which might be, you know, anything outside of a typical site or on the site, anything you found the most memorable or funny along the way?
2: There's a lot of humorous stories, but I'll uh, pull one out of the air for you, Brett.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, there's some good ones for up there. I can remember a few. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. This one goes back a while I was working as a planning engineer at the time and a senior draft person came into my office and said, I have a bit of a problem with one of the draftspersons. persons. He seems to be taking a significant amount of time for a smoke outbreak. And I said to him, I, would you like me to have a talk to this particular draftsperson? And the reply came back. No, not at this point. He said, I think I'll sort it out. And anyway, several days later, the senior draft person came into my office again and said he thought that he had the problem solved. And I asked what he said. And he did. He said, after a few minutes, he said, I thought I would follow him down to the smoking room or, in this case, the men's washrooms. And so that's what he did. Senior person followed this smoker down to the, the men's washroom and he noticed a great plume of smoke rising from one of the cubicles. Senior draftsperson then accumulated as many toilet rolls as he could and stood on the toilet seat adjacent to the smoking cubicles and proceeded to bomb the smoking and come up with toilet rolls. <laughs> anyway well, that's not the end of the story brett the senior drafts person then returned and said i thought i had the problem solved but when he actually came back in the office he actually found the smoking drafts person working away at his desk so we never actually really found out who got wrong with the toilet rolls
1: oh dear there's a couple of toilet themes in our story it's <laughs> from the side <laughs> over about i <Arthur>, yes. <laughs> this one's a different variant completely. <laughs> So, Lee and everyone, thanks for joining us today and giving our listeners some insights into your world in the various areas of experience that you've had over over a four-decade period. It's been a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to work with you over time. And thank you so very much for being part of today. So, for those listening, if you'd like some more information about Lee, I'm sure you're more than willing to contact him. He's in his retirement these days. And there are many of us that stay connected. You'll see some details on the show notes. So everyone, thanks for listening. And if you have a spare minute, we'd love you to leave us a review via your favorite platform and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.